No, now all right. Now hi. you can say hi. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Dan. I'm Carrie. I'm Patrick. And? I'm Ken. And welcome to the 1962 Academy Awards. Uh, this is If I Ran the Oscars, where we took take a look at one film chosen at random from each year the Oscars were on TV. And we take a look at what it won for, as well as a few other categories, in order to give us a wide breadth of film appreciation. And uh, this year, I believe we do- unfortunately dodged the bullet of West Side Story. I'm so sad, Ziz. That's a much better if film I'm than this one. I'm remembering my things correctly, we did. This was the year of West Side Story. And I'm so disappointed because I would have much rather watched that tonight. Now, you are more than welcome to watch West Side Story on your own time as extra credit. <laughs> However... I'd, I'd rather sing the music to West Side Story than Moon River. <laughs> no, we watched Breakfast at Tiffany's. Which does not have the song. So just out of curiosity, what did West Side Story Story win for? Oh, some things. Maria. So it won for Best Picture, Best Director, uh, Best Supporting Actor and Actress. I do not see anyone nominated for Best Actor or Actress in that one. Just Supporting and one for both. I'm certain it won for Best Scoring of a Musical. Uh, We are not surprised. It did win for Best Scoring of a Musical. Uh, and best sound, so that would include sound editing, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hey, also still... got best art direction color, and best cinematography color, and best costume design color. Wow. West Side Story cleaned up, and we had to work very hard to get the dice to not roll West Side Story. <laughs> and boy, what, did we. What happened to the dice? Why did they roll this film? Well, because this is the point. We have to have a, a wide breadth of film well, experience. We can't just I... watch the ones we like. What I find interesting is Welcome. what we chose as the category randomly. We didn't choose it. Well, randomly. Yeah. Best scoring of a dramatic or comedy. Because as opposed to best scoring of a musical. Because this was not a musical, even though someone sang a song. One time. Well, it was, <laughs> it was it kind of one song. Yeah. So, uh, this film grossed $14 million on a $2.5 million budget. Well, so, pretty good. fairly successful. It was uh, based off of a novella from Truman Capote, mm-hmm. written oh, in 1958. Well, then quickly turned around. Yeah, quickly turned okay. around. I, for fun, I looked up Truman Capote mm-hmm. because he's had, I believe it said 20 of his works were turned into TV shows or TV movies or movies. Mm-hmm. And this was not the first one. Uh, no, A Christmas Memory in 1956 uh, was a... No, that was aired in 66. This is the first one that was produced. It was 1961. Uh, he wrote In Cold Blood. Yep. Uh, he narrates The Thanksgiving Visitor, which is a sequel to A Christmas Memory. And he does his own the narration of his own thing. Uh, Murder by Death was the first time he was an actor in a film, but that was not his work, necessarily. In Woody Allen's Annie Hall, there's a scene where Woody Allen is observing passersby, and he comments that there is there goes the winner of the Truman Capote lookalike contest, and it's him, and it is him. But like he's he's not a like internationally renowned, everyone recognizes his name author, but he had a string of a lot of wins for a few decades there, and this was one of them apparently. 
Lots is dead. Well, they should have done a, b- a better job with the screenplay. Yeah. Because uh, I really yeah. didn't care for a really long time. Audrey Hepburn, who we will talk about in a sec, regarded it as one of her most challenging roles since she was an introvert and had to play an extrovert. Hmm. Additionally, the opening scene consists of her walking down Fifth, looking into a window and eating a pastry. Hmm. Audrey Hepburn does not like pastries. Is that the way she put it back in the bag? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I... To go down the list of people... What, what are we are, supposed to be looking at in this film? Well, we'll get to that, but yes. Why? <laughs> because we, have that, we always do that at the end. We've always done that at the end. We can't break with convention? No. We have to, we have to follow well, the rules. have to suffer through? Okay. He's the leader. I, I think that you don't think the movie is worth even commenting on. Well, the, pe- the people... <laughs> this wouldn't be the first time. The people in the movie are worth commenting on. Which That's is what true, we, but which this is what film we usually start is with. garbage toast. So, okay. Audrey Hepburn is in it. She did things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she was in the Broadway play of Gigi in 51, right. after she was spotted by the novelist on whose work the play was based. Mm-hmm. Her first film big thing was Roman Holiday, mm-hmm. 1953, for which she won an Oscar, a Golden Globe, and a BAFTA. Oh, wow. The first person to win all three for the same role, which at that point, you What's know, a you're a star now. The same year, she won a Tony. Hmm. So, all so, right. So that must have been better than this one. Yeah. Uh, she was in Sabrina, Funny Face, The Nun Story, this movie, Charade, My Fair Lady, for which she got an Academy Award and BAFTA as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wait Until Dark, she got nominations. After that, in 67, she was in less movies. One was Robin and Marion with Sean Connery. She kind of settled out of her career. Yeah. Well, then she started uh, doing a lot of work with UNICEF instead. Mm-hmm. She has the Presidential Medal of Freedom for her work with UNICEF. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... she got involved in very different things. Yeah. She was not... She was born Audrey Kathleen Rustin in Brussels. She was born to a baroness. Yeah. Baroness Ella van Heemstra. Really? Yep. Yeah. Didn't know why. Yep. She was technically... Like nobility, so interesting. Uh, playing opposite her in this one is George Papard, who I would not have recognized from the original A Team, <laughs> but he was definitely on the original A Team. He played Hannibal. He was also a uh, in the Carpetbaggers in 1964. He was a uh, he was a had a TV serial that he did too. Banasek. Banachek. 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 B-A-N-A-C-E-K for those playing at home. Yes. Millionaire insurance investigator and sleuth, Thomas Banachek. He was a sleuth. Yep. And in this one, he was playing the, you know, pretty boy. And I think he did an okay job of being pretty. Sure. (laughs) Like, you know, he's not the hot boys from the 50s who we've seen all of their movies. No, this was more like um, the board game um, mystery date from when I was a, a girl. All right. He looked like the the guy in the, the tuxedo in mystery date board yeah. game. Uh, okay. My husband is looking at me with incredulous face. <laughs> yes, we played mystery date at slumber mm-hmm. parties. I Also in this film. And you did not want oh. to get the beach bum as your mystery date. Okay. I see I, I believe you. It's true. <laughs> also in this film, I uh, in an unfortunate role, though 
fine at the time, apparently, Mickey Rooney. Ugh, terrible acting. Uh, his career started in the 30s. Oh, when he was a kid. Oh, yeah. At 14, oh, he yeah. paid. Yeah. He played Puck in yeah. the play and later film adaptation of A Midsummer Night's Dream, 1935. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Boys Town, Babes in Arms. He was awarded an Academy Juvenile Award, Special Award, in, 1950, in 1939. The peak of his career was between the ages of 15 and 25. He made 43 films, for mostly for MGM. He was busy. Yeah. He was drafted into World War II. National Velvet. With uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. Uh, but he was uh, basically an entertainer in the army. He did not see combat. Quite a buffer, too. Yeah. He received the Bronze Star for his work. Hmm. But he was too old when he returned. He was in a lot of film noir, things mm-hmm. post-war. Breakfast at Tiffany's, Requiem for a Heavyweight, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, Black mm-hmm. Stallion. Hmm. Uh, he got an Emmy in 1982. Wow. For his work in the movie Bill. Oh, oh wow. But, yeah, uh, his role in this one is as a very racial stereotyped Japanese man, for which he has horrible, horrible fake teeth. Yes, the orthodontia is um, <laughs> over the top. <laughs> and it's not a pretty sight. Well, and to our 2020 uh, sensibilities, it's yeah. very racist. Well, it was an attempt at comic relief. Very poorly done. Correct. Well, maybe in 1960 that was funny. It was probably better then. Right. Yeah. Now we think that's just not funny. I yeah. uh, in this one. Uh, oh, I'll say one more thing about uh, him that I that I remember on the Carson show. This is later on. Johnny Carson asked him if he would do anything different. I mean, he won and lost several fortunes evidently, and uh, and Carson was was badgering him about these things, and he looked up at him and he said, Ah, oh. he said. I might wear a different pair of socks now and then. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. I yeah. uh, the There was a love interest, if we want to call it that, for the main man, uh, played by Patricia Neal. Uh, you would have seen her in The Day the Earth Stood Still as uh, the widow Helen Benson. Uh, she was in the movie HUD in 1963, for which she got Best Actress. Uh, and... In the TV movie The Homecoming of Christmas Story, which I don't know that one, but fact about the film, they she dyed her hair red. She's not a redhead, but that's because she and Audrey Hepburn both have black hair, and they oh. wanted to make them look more visually distinct. Oh, sure. So that's a small thing there. I I looked up the actor for uh, that Dad was asking about of. Mr. Trawler. Mr. Rusty Trawler. Mr. Rusty Trawler. And now I want to see. I want to see if Dad, if I came up with the correct reason why oh, Dad yeah. recognized him. Yeah, I'm sure. What do you say it is? Cyrano Jones in Star Trek. Which episode? He was the Tribble handler. There you go. The Tribble handler on the episode "The Trouble with Tribbles." The Trouble with Tribbles. And no, reprised no. the role later when they had the tri- the next Tribble episode. I can't even remember. They, they that had one. a they had a, another one. I believe that one was on Next Generation, and he showed up again. Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, he okay, was. You guys are nerds. He was in some yes, episodes of Gunsmoke as well. He did oh, a yeah. lot of stuff. That's more like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He played. That would have been much better. Otis to watch. Campbell's brother on an episode of the Andy Griffith Show. You'd be surprised the the some of the uh, familiar actors that were on shows like mm-hmm. Gunsmoke. Oh yeah. Uh, he appeared as King Kaliwani in the final episode of Gilligan's Island. Oh, yes. 
Mm. Ooh, Final episode. Yeah. He was on the Twilight Zone episode with Buster Keaton. Wow. Uh, Ilya Clarp on the Adams Family. Like he just he wasn't quite the like working method actor that mm-hmm. you usually see in the sixties and seventies, but he was just in stuff. But he was busy. Oh, sorry. The Star Trek animated series, not Next Generation, is where they had more tribbles, more trouble. Oh, okay. And archival footage of him as that character was featured in Deep Space Nine, because they also had a Tribbles episode. And he co-wrote an episode for Star Trek's final season. How about that? So, interesting stuff there, I guess. Way more interesting than the film. Uh, yeah. Uh, don't worry, we're not done yet. Well, good. Uh, Alan Reed played uh, Sally Tomato in this film. Okay. He was in it for a whole one scene. Mm-hmm. But he is of note because he's been in a few things. Days of Glory, Viva Zapata, Knob Ooh. Hill, and possibly most well-known, the original voice of Fred Flintstone. Oh, neat. Which, when you hear it, you it's there. But it's really? Not, yep. But it's in such wanna, a different thing. Makes yep. me want to hear him speak on the he's, show again. Okay, after because. the podcast, we're going to do scene selection and go yeah. find him. But yeah, he's the original Fred Flintstone. Wow. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's and quality material. I looked up Buddy Ebsen. Uh, because he's an interesting guy. Yeah, he also was quite a hoofer, you know. Yeah, that this is the guy from Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was in this as Audrey Hepburn's estranged husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, it's, his career spans seven decades, I believe it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Beverly Hillbillies is almost certainly his most popular role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he began his film career in Broadway Melody of 1936 and appeared as a dancer with Shirley Temple in oh, Captain sweet. January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember he watching He was chosen that. to appear in The Wizard of Oz originally as the Scarecrow. And before filming, switched to the Tin Man, but he fell seriously ill due, the, due to the aluminum dust in his makeup and had to drop out. Uh-huh. So disappointing there. He died at age 95. No, this guy was kicking. He was working a long yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, more people, because mom, because mom asked, and I'm glad she did, about mm-hmm. the librarian. Yeah. Who showed in the up New York to, Public in Library. In the New York Public, which, Public Library. That made me think of Ghostbusters. Yeah. Character, actress, and voiceover performer. Best remembered for her semi-regular roles on the Beverly Hillbillies and Petticoat Junction. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Semi-regular. No, wait, who was she in Beverly Hillbillies? I had it scrolled. I gotta scroll back down. Gotta get to that point in her career. Hold on. She had a long career, too. Which of the... Was she Mrs. Drysdale? Alverna Bradshaw. Bradshaw. Boy, oh boy. I haven't watched that. She was also in The Nutty Professor. However, her most well-known role, again, is animated. Okay. Clarabelle Cow in Disney cartoons. <laughs> wow. I'm gaping. My yeah. mouth is just gaping open. And uh, her, I have to scroll. I have to scroll to find where the her first one of that was. But she was in the first Porky Pig cartoon as well. Wow. And her last, I uh, her last work in 1990, The Prince and the Pauper, animated mm. yeah. Clarabelle Cow. Mm. Wow. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I uh, and I've been saving him for last because he's awfully hard to find. Yeah. I did have to look it up to see where he was in the movie. Mel Blanc. Oh. Oh. We we missed him. No, we didn't. You just don't see him. There's a guy who's trashing, who's drunk and trashing her apartment near the beginning of the film. And oh. he has a really good voice that's easy to understand, isn't it? You mean the 
The when, guy who was outside the door? No, in, when she was sneaking out oh, the window that first time. she was sneaking out the window and he was in the and He apartment. was inside complaining and like he wants oh, to really? hang out with her. That's Mel Blanc. Okay, we huh. want to listen to that one again too. Oh, and he's outside the door. For those who don't yeah. know, Mel Blanc is the man of a thousand voices. Oh, yeah. Quick, list some cartoon characters. Bugs from, Bunny? Yeah, yeah that one. What's up, Doc? A million of them. There's uh-huh. a uh, interesting story uh, where he was in a coma mm-hmm. and they couldn't get him out. And they were like trying to like wake mm-hmm. up Mel right. Blanc, wake up. And somebody said, wake up Bugs Bunny. And he went, hey, what's up, Doc? No, that made that <laughs> up. But didn't we, we went to his gravesite in Hollywood, didn't we? Patrick's oh, looking at possible. me quizzically. I, I don't remember. Barney Rubble on the Flintstones. So we got Fred and Barney in this movie. Fred and Barney. Mr. Spacely on the Jetsons. Oh, yeah. Like... He's just been in stuff. Mr. Spacely was the boss man. Yeah. He's just been in stuff. Uh-huh. Boy. Looney Tunes and Merry Mel- Melodies. Roll. Numerous voices. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, so that covers the people who are in this. And that's like that's a pretty good set. And that's not even everyone. Right. But that's a pretty good lineup of people. Uh, creation of this movie. Again, it's uh, based off of a novel. Uh, originally... The first director was a guy by the name of John Frankenheimer. Now, at the time, he didn't really get known for it. He wasn't really known for anything. And Audrey Hepburn's agent said, Who is this chucklehead? Uh-huh. We don't want to work for him. Okay. So they got rid of him. And then in 1962, he directed Birdman of Alcatraz and the Manchurian Candidate. Ooh. So, you know, they figured out who he was really quick. Uh-huh. <laughs> But the actual director was a guy by the name of Blake Edwards. Who he's, that's a familiar name. He's done oh, a fair amount yeah. of things. Uh, you would recognize him from Pink Panther. Yes. No. Who will, we will be talking about later. Oh, is that on our list? No. Well, kind of. Oh, okay. Later today. Oh. Because if we're going to skip oh, because talking... because Henry Mancini. Because of Henry Mancini. If we're going to skip talking about the movie, because... Meh. I think I figured out what would have improved the movie because there were... There were bits in it that worked. Mm-hmm. I think it was two disparate stories that didn't connect. Mm. There were multiple small plots, but none of them were the main plot. Okay. And so if one of them was the main plot and the others fed it, it would have worked. But this was a story about her and her Paul. Wife. Her and Paul. This is a story about her and the guy in prison. This is a story about her trying to find love. But none of those worked together. Right. They were... It was three different stories. Yeah. And so it felt like the movie didn't have a direction because it didn't. It was three small separate stories. Which is weird because the novella is a novella and three short stories. (laughs) Has it ever come up in your discussions about the automobile industry and who they back in various movies? Not necessarily. Well, I've seen a couple of them at least where there, where the uh, that uh, that phenomenon is obvious, and this is one of them. Chrysler products everywhere throughout. Yeah, uh, I believe it. Another one I can't remember the name, but it was a good movie. Ford products move throughout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to get your money from somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just like product placement in films in the 1980s. Yeah. You know, glaringly obvious yeah. that the product logo container. Yeah. Front and center. You know? But we can say with confidence that Audrey Hepburn was fairly well-dressed in this movie. 
Well, Givenchy did yeah. her clothing. And that's about the best thing we can say for it in general, except for the music, which we will be discussing first. Mm-hmm. One more thought about the cars. One more thought about the cars. How would you like to try to differentiate whose cars, if any, are banking today's movies? Cars all look alike. Well, they usually have the logo on them. Not quickly enough. Not visible uh, enough. There is uh, a... Not the way these were. Yeah. 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 I... There is, I, I'm trying to remember what dopey movie it was, but it's some like space movie where it's just utterly bonkers. And then one of them gets into this like sleek looking escape pod and it's rocketing through this giant space station. And then it flies close to the camera and this space pod has a Lexus logo on it. Uh, <laughs> he probably took it off a Lexus. Yeah. Oh, it's like, yeah. My robot was an Audi. Yeah. He had a mm-hmm. very fancy Audi car that was very future. Yeah. Back to the future. Back to the future. I don't think they were actually sponsored by DeLorean. They I think they just thought it looked cool. They probably got some money. But. At that point. I mean, after the, the for the second and third ones, almost yes, certainly. Yes, I'm sure. All right. So, our categories to start... Best scoring of a dramatic or comedy picture. We already talked about West Side Story. West Side Story was a musical, doesn't count. And this one was scored by Henry Mancini. And buckle up, kids, if you haven't heard of Henry Mancini. Because I'm going to start telling you about some numbers. 20 Grammy Awards. Yeah. Not including his posthumous lifetime achievement. No, wait, no. Yeah, not including that one. Four Academy Awards and a Golden Globe. Interesting uh, how how you get um, parallel tracks of individuals participating, yep. like the Blake Edwards, the Pink Panther. Because this is Pink Panther, famous he, for Mancini yeah. doing Pink Panther theme, right? The music from the, the music from the TV series Peter Gunn. Here's yeah. a fact: also a Blake Edwards movie. The first Grammy Award for Album of the Year. Ooh, mm. that's notable. So that's an interesting thing. Interestingly enough. Henry Mancini had a number one single during the rock era on the Hot 100. Mm. The love theme from Romeo and Juliet. Okay. Which Romeo and Juliet? Uh, <laughs> let me help you out here. Instrumental arranged by Henry Mancini for Franco Zifarelli's film of Romeo and Juliet, starring Leonard Whiting and Olivia Hussey. Oh, man. I don't even know if I've ever seen that one. Well, now we got to look that up. Can't say I've seen that one either. It com- it was competing with rock and roll songs from the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it ended the five-week run of Get Back by the Beatles as the top song. That's an achievement. And it was That's on top time. for eight weeks. Mm. Wow. Also an achievement. Uh, but yeah, no, his list of things, what he has done, would we'd be here for another ten minutes to talk about oh, all the good yeah. music he's written. I uh, you can go look at like his awards. Pink and Panthers, just, just right there. Yeah. Would anyone oh, like sure. to guess how many Grammys he was nominated for? Oh wow. He won twenty. 20. I bet he was nominated for hundred and twenty. That's a pretty good guess. Eighty, something like that. Eighty's closer. It's seventy-two. Wow. Nominated for eighteen Academy Awards. Uh this year he won two Academy Awards because he also got it for Best Original Song for Moon River. Hmm. <laughs> I remember learning to play Moon River when I was a young piano Well, I remember student. having Moon River on an album. The next home. year, no. he got Best Original Song again for Days of Wine and Roses. Mm-hmm. And then got Best Original Score again in 1982 for Victor Victoria. Mm. Yeah. Which is a weird film. And then yeah, he was on a stamp in 2004. 
His, huh. I don't know if that counts as an award, but boy, is it on his list. Yeah. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about Moon River in this is the number of different ways that they played it. Correct, which I think and contributed. And for different periods, uh, mm-hmm. different uh, mm-hmm. circumstances in the movie. Yeah. Because right. it was jazz at one point. It was little bits and pieces of it at other points. It was her singing it, which was kind of a... Oh. Lame. Mm-hmm. Well, she really did it, though. She so. did it, but it was not good. <laughs> the song was tailored to Hepburn's limited vocal range based on songs she had performed in 1957's Funny Face. Mm-hmm. I, Paramount's head of production wanted it replaced with music by somebody like Gordon Jenkins, who was very popular at the mm-hmm. time. And uh, they apparently fought for it really hard. Uh, a studio executive hated the song and demanded it be cut from the film. <laughs> uh, Did they just hate her singing? Probably, but of course Audrey Hepburn <laughs> liked it. Uh, there's unreleased score pieces uh, from the film that are not used, but you can find them. Uh, I don't need to do that. Yeah, there's, but it does I'm talk look about for varia- variations on the theme it's so, totally, I mean, there was, sometimes it was in a minor key, sometimes it was dissonant, sometimes yeah. it was... It was jazz at the party. Melancholic, jazz at the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, I think they used it over In over. that way, I think I think it was a well-written score. Yeah. And I yeah. believe it for best score. It kind of would have to, we'd have to see what it was actually going up against at the time, which is mm-hmm. sound scoring of a musical picture. We do, there's no consequences there. Oh, uh, El Cid, Fanny, The Guns of Navarone, and Summer in Smoke. Mm, impressive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, El Cid was Miklos Rosa. We've talked about him before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have. Uh, but, eh, I mean, it was good music. I'll mm-hmm. take it. Yeah. Audrey Hepburn singing notwithstanding. Ugh, no. Yeah. I would, like, that would be my run pee time. Yeah. Uh, but we do have other categories to talk about. We do? Art mm-hmm. direction. Color. But art direction. So, Set choices it was actually filmed on fifth ave in new york city in new york city the outside mm-hmm. scenes were filmed in new york city mm-hmm. and they were in the library yep the in, most of the inside scenes that are just mm-hmm. in an apartment or on a set it was fine i mean it was what, nothing nothing really, to write home about nothing really stood out on that one and i don't think it was even nominated it really no. wasn't the rain oh scene. it was the rain scene was realistic yeah i thought it they was nominated sort of. and lost to West Side Story because everything did. Because yeah. West Side yeah. Story. Uh, next, costume design. I mean, her costumes were fine. She had her own costumer. She did. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I mean, it looked to me, I mean, it was just uh, hip mod. Period clothing. Yeah. Period clothing. Yeah. Yeah, nothing yeah. nothing st- yeah. stands out. Wasn't even nominated in that category. West yeah. Side Story won. Yeah. <laughs> and the last one, film editing, which, like, there I don't know how to judge that. Well, there wasn't like particularly good choices of like scene. That's when we get into things like scene length, uh, yeah, scene transition, scene transition choices of yeah. scene transition, things like that. Yeah, that's awfully hard to look at. But often, the best film editing is you have to kind of take note, but at the same time, the actual best is the kind where you never notice it. Yeah. There was nothing extraordinary. This one about definitely this one. nothing extraordinary about yeah. this one that stands out, and I don't think it's so good that you don't notice. Yeah, not particularly creative or anything like that. No, there was. We've seen movies with creative transitions yeah. and choices there. Yeah, on the waterfront. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Man, it's we much should, better. Man, we should just go watch that movie again. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to keep one. bringing up the good movies. We're sorry. <laughs> no. But, you know, again, not nominated. West Side Story won. <laughs> As with most things this year, West Side Story. Uh, so, an unfortunate dip in our bell curve of good movies. Uh, this one is in the Library of Congress for cultural significance. So, Makes you know, sense. some people think it's good. And it has... It has its uses, but it's not... This was definitely not going to be a Best Picture winner. Yeah. No. But I think, still think I'm glad I watched it. It, it was too slow to get going am, for one thing. End, in the end, I am. I was ready to yeah. walk off. Yeah. Really. It was, but, we, uh, were, we were better part of a half hour into it, and we were thinking, yeah. really? And? This is all we're going to get? And before we're done, <laughs> we do have to touch on the song Breakfast at Tiffany. Oh, the pop song. The pop song from 1995. Because your brother Sam was yep. singing it in the kitchen yesterday. It's a one-hit wonder because they never had a hit after that. This song is about a man... Well, it's from, sung from the point of view of a man whose girlfriend is on the verge of breaking up with him because they have nothing in common. And he's desperate to find something. So he brings up breakfast at Tiffany's. And the girlfriend recalls that they both kind of liked it. And he argues that this should serve as enough motivation for them to work on their problems. <laughs> That's the song. <laughs> Sam was singing it yesterday. The song was inspired by the film Roman Holiday, but mm. the songwriter thought that another film would make a better song title. Mm. And yeah, it's a, it's a song about, you it's know, catchy. We, we should love each other because we both like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a great... It's, it's, Which, it's catchy, but it's... Eh. Now that we've watched the movie... I can't believe that that they ever got together. There was two people that actually liked this film. Yeah, I mean the Academy Award liked it a bit. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it. It clearly got much more serious and and much better later in the movie. The second half of the movie was something. Okay, this might be worth watching. But they needed to hook us sooner. But they did. In any case, uh, if you can find this at your library, go for it. I guess get yourself some Henry Mancini. Listen to some more Henry Mancini. Yes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Ready to take us out? No, that's then, your job. We want to thank the Academy for doing its job and thereby pointing us in the direction of quality filmmaking. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.